We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Niners Wire, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I am very lucky to be in the house of Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. There's a giant structure next to me in his dining area. It looks like it's a big cat playhouse. Kyle, can you explain this thing to me? Uh, yeah, it's actually a cat tree for sure, but I sometimes sleep on it. I cuddle with the kitties. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. I don't do that. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my cat tree house, and I, I really would appreciate it if you called this place what it is. It's a condo. It's not a house. A condo makes me feel fancy. So, thanks. Uh, I really apologize for that. So, last week, uh, well, the 49ers start training camp this week. So we're going to preview training camp by talking about the offense today. We're going to do the defense uh, a little bit on Wednesday. Last week, we talked about big picture themes for the 49ers entering 2019. And I think the biggest takeaway, first of all, you should go back and listen to that episode because I think we both made a lot of important points. But the main point is that the 49ers are a high variation team and that we don't know what they're going to be in 2019 because they could look like the team that won five games with Jimmy Garoppolo as a starter in 2017, or they could be the team that struggled when Jimmy Garoppolo started the first three games last season. And obviously their four and 12 record was indicative of losing Garoppolo in week three in Kansas city last year. So we're going to talk about the offense and and I think the offense is really going to be the barometer of where the 49ers are at. If, if Kyle Shanahan can, scheme this thing up and and develop a lot of these players into, say, a top 10, top 8, top 5 offense, then we might be talking about a team that can contend for a playoff spot because we think the offense is going to be 
significantly further down the road of development than the defense, just given uh, the infrastructure, the fact that the offense has been good, even without Jimmy Garoppolo playing for an extended period of time. So we're going to dive into that because like we said, the, the offense is far more established and, and we still don't know what, what to make of the 49ers defense. So we're going to start by, by looking at Jimmy Garoppolo in, and trying to project what he's going to be in, in 2019. And, and I think that's a place to start because Garoppolo is clearly the 49ers most important player. I think what last year taught us is that the team is not going to contend unless he's there, even if somebody like Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard can come in and, and be productive from a number number standpoint like Mullins was last year. So Kyle, why don't you, why don't you get us started and, and give me your statistical uh, prediction for Garoppolo and, and why you think he's going to get there. So I think Garoppolo probably starts this year a little bit slow. I, I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw last year with maybe some accuracy issues as he kind of gets knock some of the rust off from that from that torn ACL because I don't envision him playing a ton in the preseason. So I think his first regular season game action is going to be his first live live action in almost almost a full calendar year. So I think he starts slow. I think he finishes around though about uh, like in the 63% uh, completion rate range. I've got him breaking the single season passing record for the 49ers at 4437 yards exact. Uh, 34 touchdowns, and then 14 interceptions. His eight-game averages, he's, he started eight games for the, for San Francisco. His eight-game averages haven't been great in terms of the touchdown-to-interception ratio. I think that's going to be the biggest change we see from Garoppolo this year. I think he's going to be more comfortable in the offense. I think he has a better stable of weapons than he's ever had. And I think that as we see the Niners improve in the red zone, I think we see his touchdown numbers go up. And just, I think, as a matter of being more comfortable in the offense and, and making better decisions, I think we see those interception numbers come come down quite a bit. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm I'm a little bit less optimistic than you. I have Garoppolo throwing for 4,100 yards, 32 touchdowns, and, and 13 interceptions. And basically what I did was sort of, I mean, this this might might be lazy by by some standard, but I basically took the, the the middle of the road between that 2017 season and the 2018 season, but going by per game stats. So I have him roughly at 250 yards a game. That's right between the 260 he averaged in 2017 and the 239.3 he averaged in, in those three games last year. I was a little bit worried about the way Garoppolo played last year early on because he was holding on to the ball a lot and because he wasn't being nearly as decisive as he was in 2017. And I, and I think there's something to the idea that the, the newness of the offense of, um, of joining the 49ers midway through the season and not having a complete grasp, having the, the game plans be relatively simple and straightforward. I think that allowed Garoppolo to play freely and play more, uh, you know, with a backyard mindset, so to speak. And, and I've said this before on the pod, but I talked to somebody at the, at the, at the combine in Indianapolis who's, who had worked with Garoppolo in the past. And, and he, he mentioned to me that, you know, Garoppolo really did his best work when he was just sort of freewheeling and doing his own thing. And, and I think last year, maybe the structure bogged him down a little bit. I've also said this before too, that losing Jarek McKinnon and not having that player in the passing game early on last year was, was a pretty, 
big deal that uh, I don't think generally gets talked about enough when when talking about Garoppolo's struggles last year early on before the injury. So it's hard to know exactly what to expect. And we're going to hit on some of these other points too as, as we go through the offense. How acclimated is Dante Pettis going to be in his second season? Is he going to make a big jump like George Kittle did in his second season to the point where he's, you know, could be considered a number one receiver. Is Debo Samuel going to be good enough to really get the lion's share of, of, of snaps as a starter as, as, as the X receiver, or sorry, the Z receiver, which was Pierre Garçon's role the last couple of years? Is is Samuel going, I mean, is Samuel going to sign before the start of training camp? That's That's another thing that we don't know if that's going to happen yet because he's unsigned. He's represented by CAA, who's notorious for, for contract stalemates for incoming rookies, as is Nick Bosa. They both share that, that representation. And um, we can get into the offset language and, and the contract stuff a little bit later this week if that's still in the news. Um, so, like I said, I, I think Garoppolo, I mean, having 4,100 yards would be very impressive. It would be near, it would probably be the second or third most productive season from a 49ers quarterback. Um, and like we said in last week's pod, can Garoppolo stay healthy over a full 16-game season? We've never seen it because we haven't seen him start more than five games in any given year. So, and the other question is, how careful is he going to be with the ball? Uh, Garoppolo has shown a propensity to be really aggressive in terms of his decision-making. And if guys are covered, uh, he doesn't have any any problem trying to fit balls in in tight spaces. And sometimes... That's a good thing. And, you know, Brett Favre was pretty famous for that. But Garoppolo threw five interceptions in his five starts in 2017, and he threw three interceptions in his three starts in 2018. So, you know, having an interception per game is probably more than you would like, and that would put him among the league leaders most likely this season if he played all 16 games. So Ben Roethlisberger led the NFL with interceptions thrown last year with 16. So if Garoppolo throws one per game, he would be up there near the league leaders interceptions. And is that going to be problematic to the point where it costs 49ers games? Or is that going to be a product of the 49ers just throwing the ball so much that uh, and that, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily cost them in terms of wins and losses. So I'll be interesting to see. I'll be interested to see how that goes uh, in terms of Garoppolo and, and, how how the season shakes out for him when what should be his first full season as as a starter. Well, two things on that. One, I think it's really worth noting that he really should have had four interceptions. There was that one that was going to lose the game against the Lions, but there was that wonky offensive or, or defensive pass interference call on George Kittle that took away that interception. So really, he was probably on pace for closer to closer to twenty or so interceptions uh, last season before he got hurt. So. I completely agree. I think decision-making from Garoppolo is really – because the talent's there. We've seen that. But can he keep the football away from the defense? And that's where I wonder how much of last season was really a lost season for him. Because on the field, he's obviously not gaining that experience in the offense. He's not gaining that additional rapport with his receivers. But how much did he learn about the offense from watching with that bird's-eye view that he talked about? How much did he get from being on the sideline with just the just the earpiece and listening to what was going on, being in the – being in the quarterback's room watching film, if he took that time and was able to put more of this offense together in his head where he can he can basically treat every down, like you said, like he's free freestyling because he's so comfortable. He knows where everybody's going to be. He knows where all of his reads are. That's, that's going to be one of the most important things to me is how much we know it was a lost season for the 49ers, but did Garoppolo gain something 
by taking a step back, taking a deep breath and getting knowledge of the offense outside of a live action situation. I also wonder if the offense schematically is going to look significantly different based on the personnel, because you're going to have potentially two new starting receivers. Dante Pettis played a lot last year, but I wouldn't really qualify him as a, as a starting receiver. He sort of filled in for Marquise Goodwin out of necessity because Goodwin was injured. And then you had Pierre Garcon on the other side for half the year. Um, You're going to have Pettis presumably as a full-time starter. You're going to have Debo Samuel presumably as a full-time starter. What is Jalen Hurd going to be? Is is he going to acclimate as a slot receiver, H-back, tight end, running back hybrid, whatever he is? What is his role? We have no idea what that's going to look like yet because Hurd hasn't even practiced. Uh, Kyle Shanahan has said he's going to work in the slot. Is is having a big slot receiver going to change what Kyle Shanahan wants to do in terms of you know the responsibilities from that position? Is is that going to be a really important red zone piece because the 49ers were the lat, the worst team in the NFL in, in red zone efficiency last year in terms of scoring touchdowns? Is the new look group of running backs, which I guess is is the best way to transition here? How much is that going to change the offense? Because we talked about losing McKinnon, who in training camp was lining up all over the field. And and it was clear Kyle Shanahan was going to use McKinnon as somebody to create mismatch problems, to figure out what the defense was doing coverage-wise. He was lining McKinnon up in the slot. He was moving him out wide. Uh, McKinnon looked like somebody who was going to be a really important part of the passing game because of his versatility in terms of where he could line up in the mismatch issues, he could provide linebackers and safeties and things like that because he was arguably the best athlete on the team. And now a year later coming off an ACL tear, is he going to have that same athleticism? Is Kyle Shanahan going to ask Tevin Coleman to do those same type of things? Um, So I guess that leads into the question, given the 49ers depth and talent at running back, who do you think, the the most productive running back is going to be within this game? I think it's going to wind up being Matt Breida, just based on what we saw last year, the improvements he made as a pass catcher. I think that his ceiling is definitely the highest of the three. I'm uncertain. I, I know that Jarek McKinnon's supposed to be ready for training camp, but I don't know if he's going to start week one or if he's going to be available week one. And if he is, how much of a role is he going to play coming back off that torn ACL? And then Tevin Coleman, I think we saw Tevin Coleman's ceiling kind of last year in Atlanta. He really got a chance to be the starter, and he was he was fairly productive, but Brito was more productive from from a yardage standpoint and a, and a yards per touch standpoint. So I think he's the Niners' most explosive player if he's fully healthy. We, we saw him average 5.3 yards per carry last year while battling a pretty significant ankle injury for most of the year. So I, I, I really think that he has the highest ceiling. I think the touches are going to wind up be, being pretty evenly distributed. I just see Brita doing the most with his touches uh, between the three. My answer to these questions is always follow the money. Right. So you sign Jarek McKinnon to a four year, $30 million contract, making him one of the highest paid running backs in the NFL. And Kyle Shanahan did that because he said at the time that McKinnon was the best running back on the free agent market last offseason when the team decided not to bring back Carlos Hyde. Um, And I think Kyle Shanahan has big plans for somebody like McKinnon just because of how athletic he is, like I mentioned. And you go back and look at the type of athlete he was from a testing standpoint coming into the league. 
He ran uh, just around a 4-4. He jumped out of the gym. He was the type of person uh, that Kyle Shanahan wanted to utilize in space. And and we, if we know anything about Kyle Shanahan, it's that he can figure out ways to get anybody in space no matter what position they play. So George Kittle, for example, clearly established himself as the 49ers' most dynamic option in the passing game. So what Kyle Shanahan did was figure out ways to get him open in space, which is arguably the key reason why Kittle led the NFL in yards after the catch. McKinnon doesn't play the same position, but the concept remains the same in that Kyle Shanahan can figure out ways to get McKinnon in space, whether that's through misdirection or play action or um, a myriad of things that, that Shanahan will have at his disposal because McKinnon can line up everywhere. So it sounds like the 49ers are optimistic McKinnon is going to return to full health. And he wasn't used at all during the offseason program, so we still don't really have any idea. The one thing we can say about Jimmy Garoppolo is we know what he looks like playing football at this point because he did participate in seven-on-sevens throughout the offseason program. McKinnon didn't because of the the what running backs have to do, right? They're cutting. They're, they're doing a lot more. They're taking on tacklers, even in practice. When you're practicing as a running back, you're still running through tacklers and you're still getting hit by a bunch of defenders just because that's the nature of how things go on the practice field. The, the, the quarterback is off limits at all right. times. So that's the reason why the 49ers were slow with bringing McKinnon back. But to your point, we don't know if when exactly McKinnon's coming back. We don't know if he's going to start on an injured list and miss the first few games of the season because it will be almost exactly a year to week one when that injury happens. So it sounds like the 49ers are optimistic they're going to have him in August. Um, but I do think, health permitting, that McKinnon is going to be the most productive running back the 49ers have because of that versatility, because of what he could do in the outside zone, what he can do in the passing game versus the other guys. Where, And it's not that you know I think Brita isn't versatile or I think Tevin Coleman isn't versatile. I just think Kyle Shanahan handpicked Matt Brita to be his guy. Sure. And by giving him that four-year, $30 million contract, I think that indicates how highly Shanahan thinks of him. And I think money, money you said, talks. You said he handpicked Matt Breida. You meant Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon, yeah. So, so I, well, they did. I, I didn't want there to be confusion yeah. that Matt Breida got this huge contract. That nobody no, knew Matt, Breida, <laughs> Matt Breida did not get a big contract. I was talking about McKinnon. My mistake. So, well, so I... Like I said, the the health thing is really because I, I I can't disagree with anything you said. They they obviously brought him in to be the focal point really of their offense. We saw how how much of a focal point the running game was without McKinnon, and his versatility should get him some additional touches. I just I I really really worry about a running back coming off an ACL tear. I really worry about his first few weeks, the first time he gets hit, the first time he really has to cut. That's those those things stick out in my mind, and that that's why I'm still leaning Brita. One interesting idea that that I've thought about with McKinnon and and his injury, given the depth that the 49ers have at running back now, with the addition of Coleman, with Brita coming back in year three, is that you have the opportunity to put McKinnon on an injured list if you want to to start the year, which means he would miss the first five games of the season and not six because the 49ers have their bye week four. So, so that's an advantage that they actually have. And if you do that, you could essentially be getting McKinnon back right around the same time as the trade deadline. And it essentially makes him an acquisition 
right? Like you, you get a fresh running back. He will be coming off the injury, but he'll have extra time off the injury. And if we know anything about 49ers running backs over the last few seasons, it's that injuries happen pretty frequently. So you could, you know, even if, if Brita were to suffer an ankle injury, for example, or if something were to happen to Coleman, uh, you could get McKinnon back without having to take up a roster spot for those first five games because you have that bye week four. So you have a little bit of flexibility in terms of what you can do with McKinnon coming off that injury. And if you're good enough to be in the playoff hunt, your running back is going to be a little bit more fresh entering the stretch run and have fewer miles on him and fewer hits on him in the if you're going to be in the playoffs, right? Like, wouldn't it be advantageous for the 49ers to enter the playoffs with McKinnon, arguably their best running back, having played just 11 games instead of 16? Yeah, and really yeah. probably getting up to full speed because he wouldn't have played in a year and a half, hadn't played real football in a calendar almost year and a half. And so you figure it's going to take him a while to get back up to full game speed and in game conditioning. And you figure by week eight, nine, 10, that's right when he's going to be really hitting his stride. So that's something that, that I think the 49ers are at least having discussions about. And if, if McKinnon's fully healthy coming out of the preseason, they're not just going to sit him to sit him. He, he's a weapon that, that, that they're going to want to use. But if there's any question about his health going in, I, I think that's absolutely an option. Well, to be clear, if, if he does practice and play in the preseason, he's not going to be eligible for an injured list. So they would have to keep him on the shelf throughout August right. if that's the route that they wanted to go. Um, so ju- just a semantics thing right there. Um, Kyle, do you have a, do you have a pool in this fancy complex of yours where you live well that's really good news because summertime is pool time it is and all all pool owners know the hardest thing about owning a pool is keeping the water safe testing your pool water is easy but figuring out what to put into it can be a pain sutro has solved that problem sutro's free chemical calculator takes a hassle out of treating your pool our simple text-based interface allows you to test text and then treat your pool Go to mysutro.com slash bluewire to sign up for Sutro's free pool calculator. If you own a pool or have friends or family who do, tell them about Sutro. It's a simple, safe, and convenient way to keep your pool water safe. Take the guesswork out of pool work with Sutro. Sign up for free at mysutro.com slash bluewire. That's M-Y-S-U-T-R-O dot com slash bluewire. Also, Kyle... Look at the world's tech leaders and high-growth startup CEOs. I bet you'll, you'll wonder how in the world they have that kind of inexhaustible energy to do what they do. I wonder every time. Well, the answer will surprise you. The latest trend with top tech leaders is sleep optimization. While most Americans are not getting the sleep they need, tech founders and CEO, CEOs are optimizing their sleep to perform at peak level every day. <laughs> the first step... The Pod by 8Sleep, the ultimate sleep machine. The Pod is the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. Are you looking to sleep deeper? The Pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. Do you want to know your sleep intel? The Pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. Do you want to sleep better? 
Enjoy personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you towards true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep.com slash bluewire. They already sold out their first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash bluewire. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash bluewire. All right, so going back to the 49ers offense, I think the only real positive takeaway you can take, you can pull from 2018 was what George Kittle did. And setting an NFL record with 1,377 yards for a tight end was really pretty remarkable just given the fact that he only got two and a half games or two and three quarters games from the starting quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. And then getting a remaining one of the most productive players in all of football with C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins at quarterback. And I think it speaks to what Kyle Shanahan is able to do, like we mentioned, in getting guys open in space. So I think that that's another question that we need to that we need to ask and try to answer is how many yards will George Kittle have? And pers- me, I, I don't think Kittle is going to have 1,377 yards again. I don't even think he's going to have 1,000 just because I expect the rest of the passing offense to, to sort of catch up, partly because – opposing defenses are going to throw the book at Kittle until Dante Pettis or Debo Samuel or any of the running backs or whoever else really establishes themselves as, as go-to options. I think when teams game plan for the 49ers, their priority is going to be to stop Kittle. So it's going to be up to the other guys to make defenses pay for that. Um, so I think Kittle's going to get fewer targets. I think he's still going to be a very productive tight end. I have him at, I have him at 925 yards, which would be – more than Vernon Davis ever had for the 49ers in a single season, for example. I just think 1,377 yards is such an outlier that it's going to be really hard to replicate after defensive coordinators look at the tape from all those games last season and try to figure out what the 49ers do to get him open. And ultimately, I mean, I think Kittle could be a better player this year entering year three. I mean, that's not crazy to say, but I think it could come with his overall raw production numbers being down. So he might be a better route runner. He might be a better blocker. Um, he might have a better knowledge of the offense and he might be better in some of the nuances of the game that we don't necessarily see from an outsider's perspective, but it might come at the cost of having, you know, four, 400 fewer yards receiving this year than last year. So I have, I'm a little more optimistic for, for Kittle going into this year because I, I I agree with you. We saw the Giants pretty much shut him down in the second half, and we saw the Broncos shut him down, like literally shut him out in the second half. But conversely, <laughs> we saw his last catch of the year that broke the record. Everybody in the stadium knew that ball was going to Kittle, and he turned a five-yard out into a 48-yard touchdown because he's, he's just that good. So he averaged over 15 yards a catch last year on 88 catches. That's how he broke the record. If he goes for 75 catches and averages under 15 yards per, if he goes like 14, if he goes 14.2 per reception, that puts him at 1,064 yards. So while that seems pretty optimistic, I, I don't think it's totally outrageous to think that somebody as athletic as he is, 
who's going to have some long catches just by blown assignments and and Kyle Shanahan's ability to get guys open. And then there are going to be those other times where he turns a five-yard catch into a long gain because of his ability to go after the catch. So I, I do think his targets, just by virtue of there being more weapons and mouths to feed, I think his targets will go down. I think his receptions will go down. And his yards per catch all go down. But I still think he has an extremely productive year at tight end. The number I'm really looking for to go up is his touchdowns. He only scored five last year. That has to, he, they, they have to find a way to make him effective in the red zone uh, down near the goal line, whether that's improving contested catches or improving his route running that he can get open in tight spaces. He, he has to be more productive in that area and, and see those touchdowns get to like nine or 10, I think. Yeah. So while you're talking about that, I, I did a little bit of math uh, because I'm a real math whiz. And (laughs) Kittle had uh, 857 yards after the catch last year, which is insane. He led the NFL. He he led the NFL in yards after the catch. That was 62% of his total receiving yards. So I just think that's an outlier. Totally (laughs) right. And so uh, it's not to say that Kittle isn't going to be an elite tight end because because he is. I just think teams are going to figure out ways to limit the yards after the catch. Like even if Kittle does get open, I think there there are going to be players in his way more often. To to put it as simply as I can, like teams are gonna are gonna use umbrella coverages or whatever terminology you want to you want to use. They're going to make sure Kittle does not get behind them even after he catches the ball. I don't think he's going to be able to have 62% of his total yardage come after the catch. I think that number is going to go way down, probably even get cut in half. So if that's the case, even if his reception totals are similar, I just don't think the yardage is going to be there because it's going to be really, really difficult for him to replicate those yards after the catch numbers. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to disperse targets elsewhere because he's going to have running backs who are going to be more productive in the passing game. Presumably Dante Pettis is going to take the next step. You're going to have Debo Samuel. Um, I just think it's going to be hard for, for the 49ers to force feed Kittle the ball as much as they did last year. And I think defenses are going to be a lot smarter in terms of the way they cover him and prevent him from getting those long plays after the catch. And your point here there were three tight ends who broke 900 yards last year. They were Zach Ertz, Kittle, and Travis Kelsey. Kittle did it on 88 catches. Kelsey had 103. Ertz had 116. So I don't see Kittle getting anywhere near the number of targets that he got last year. He had 136 targets last year. I see that number going down. So so to your point, I think 925 is still really good. That would have been the third most among tight ends in the league last year. And if Dante Pettis is going to have a breakout year and Debo Samuel is the type of receiver that the 49ers want, plus if Marquise Goodwin's healthy, he's shown that he can be a weapon in the offense. I, I, I see where I see where his numbers may come way down. I'm just, I guess maybe I'm a little more optimistic about the, the amount of times that he'll turn, like I said, a, a short five-yard out into a 60-yard game. So let's shift the conversation to receiver then, um, because I think this is an incredibly important position for the 49ers this year. And they have a lot of young guys who haven't established themselves as reliable, you know, starting type receivers. I think we saw plenty of potential with Dante Pettis last year, particularly that stretch 
late in the year where he scored a touchdown almost every week. Um, you know, I think the 49ers are looking at this like Pettis is going to be a starter. He might get the, mo- the most targets of any of their receivers. And then you have Debo Samuel, who's the upside is there, but I think really he's he's a wild card right now because we know that receivers typically have a hard time ingratiating themselves into the NFL in their first year, and Samuel isn't signed, like we said. So we don't know if there's going to be any sort of prolonged holdout in training camp. Maybe he shows, maybe he signs this week, and and we don't have to talk about this anymore. But he did miss part. He he did miss OTAs, mandatory OTAs with a minor hip injury. He is somebody who was really dealing with injuries for basically half of his college career. Two of his four seasons at South Carolina were, were hampered by injuries. One was a hamstring and the other was, was a broken ankle. So it's, it's tough for us to have complete faith in Samuel going into the season that he's going to start all 16 games. So he's really an unknown quantity and we don't know what to make of his role within this this version of the 49ers offense. So I think Pettis is going to be the 49ers most productive receiver. Um, but I don't think he's going to lead the team in receiving. I still think that's going to be Kittle because he's going to be the most targeted player. And, and Kyle Shanahan is going to figure out ways to, to get him open because he's such a mismatch problem. Uh, Cause you can't really cover him with linebackers and you can't really cover him with safeties. And I think Pettis, you can jam him up physically. I think he, he, is a little bit hesitant over the middle. He's not the most physical guy, obviously. He's a little bit more of a finesse receiver, for lack of a better term. So is he somebody that you can count on to to make those catches on third down in traffic, knowing he's going to get hit and things like that? So I have Pettis lead, leading the 49ers receivers uh, in yardage. I have him at around 800 yards. I just think Kittle is, is still going to get the majority of targets. I think Pettis is going to be very productive. Um, I just don't know that he's going to make the same type of leap that Kittle made last year. But I, I do think Pettis is going to be a good player. And 800 yards is is certainly not bad at all for your second season. But the key for Pettis, obviously, is going to be to to remain healthy um, because we know that he's not the biggest dude and, and he dealt with a knee injury he suffered early on last year that uh, that cost him some some valuable Valuable developmental time. Not sure if this is legal, but I'm changing my prediction here. I had 1,056 down, but I did a little bit of math because, as you know, I too am a math whiz. <laughs> and if you double his production from last year, just in the 12 games he played, that's 90 targets, 54 catches, and a touch over 900 yards. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like 920 yards for Dante Pettis last year, assuming he sits in the 90 to a hundred target range if he is healthy for, for all 16 games. And he does take a jump because he's talked about how he was pretty confused early on in this offense. And now he's more comfortable in it. And I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that last year when he was fully healthy and was several weeks into the flow of the offense that he really started to break out. And I think we saw the, the depth of his ability as a receiver last year, both catching balls down the field uh, taking taking that slant against the Seahawks, seventy plus yards for a touchdown. I, I think he's going to be a pretty dangerous weapon, but I, I think again because of targets, because of potential injuries, I think that that his production is going to be limited underneath that thousand yard mark. But I do still think he's going to be an extremely important piece for the Niners receiving corner, and I do foresee him having a very productive year. 
especially, again, I'm going to that touchdown column because the Niners really did struggle in the red zone last year. He had a move against the Broncos to score a touchdown from the one that was just nasty. Just lost the defensive back in a, in a little one-yard window. And if he can continue doing that near the goal line, he's going to get plenty of targets there, and he, he should see his five touchdowns skyrocket. Okay, so let's end the pod with this then. We we have we jotted down a, a few questions that we think need answering that that aren't really related to to the big picture things like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, et cetera. We, we touched on it earlier. What's Jalen Hurd going to be this year? We didn't really get to see him much during the offseason program uh, because he was limited with a knee injury, and, and it was the same injury that prevented him from working out leading up to the draft, which is why he wasn't really – on our radar in terms of somebody the 49ers could realistically draft because we thought the Niners would, would probably take a receiver in round one or round two. Uh, and they did that obviously with Debo Samuel, but it, what, what's her going to be? The Niners have talked about him maybe transitioning to tight end at some point. Kyle Shanahan has said he's going to be a slot receiver early on. He's learning the X and the F positions, which is uh, the same position as Samuel. The F is a slot role, which is where the 49ers have a slew of guys and Trent Taylor, Jordan Matthews, um, guys like that. It's going to be really interesting to see what Hurd is. Is he going to be used as a as a goal line running back because he's you know 227 pounds and a lot bigger than all the other running backs who are all pretty much similar size, 200 pound guys and who rely on their speed mostly. Um, that's less important when you when the field condenses near the goal line, obviously. And Hurd looked like a really good goal line running back when he was playing that position at Tennessee. Is that going to be his role? Is he going to be an H back? Is he going to line up in the backfield um, and sort of compliment George Kittle in the same way Delaney Walker complimented Vernon Davis uh, back way earlier this decade? We have no idea. And, and we touched on it, you know, after the draft in that Hurd could have star power potential, like, in this offense just because of what Kyle Shanahan can do with getting guys open and finding guys who are really good after the catch has clearly been a priority. And I think Hurd certainly qualifies. Uh, Debo Samuel qualifies. Dante Pettis qualifies. Obviously, George Kittle led the league in yards after the catch last year. So Kyle Shanahan finding ways to get Jalen Hurd open, a really big athletic just weapon in the passing game could be really interesting. And, and it's a wild card that and we simply don't know what it's going to look like with him on the field. And, and is he going to be able to be on the field consistently? Because, like we said, he he is coming off a knee injury that kept him out throughout the offseason program. So for me, like, I think Hurd is fascinating because I think you can make the case that there's going to be a strong correlation between Hurd's production and just how the 49ers are overall. Because if Hurd ends up being really good, or at least – somebody that opponents have to account for on on a weekly basis and not somebody who's just sort of an afterthought, who's this shiny piece but hasn't really figured it out yet. If Hurt is a key player in this offense and somebody that defenses have to think about because you have George Kittle, you have the other receivers, if Hurt is the one able to take advantage of all the open space that Kyle Shanahan create, can create with the other guys drawing attention – then I think the 49ers offense could be better than we anticipate. If Hurd isn't that guy and he struggles to acclimate and he's, you know, he's only played receiver for a couple years. If he isn't the player, if he isn't that kind of player early on, then I think it sort of limits the ceiling on what the 49ers can do because they don't have a ton of established guys, like guys who know exactly what they're doing. And I think having somebody like Hurd could make things easier for, every, for everybody else 
because of what he could do in space. So I'm fascinated to see what kind of player he he is in 2019 um, because I, I'm optimistic about Hurd long-term, just what he can be over the next few years. But just because the 49ers have already talked about him playing multiple positions as a rookie, or at least, I mean, he's going to start as a receiver, but with that potential to play multiple positions, if he gets there, if he has that wherewithal and the knowledge within the scheme to not only play receiver, but play tight end, play running back, H-back, whatever it is, I think that could really enhance the 49ers offense and they could could make them a really interesting team in relation to the playoff hunt. Yeah, I'm with you in that. Long term, I think his ceiling is extremely high. And I think he is kind of the prototype player for this kind of quote-unquote positionless offense that Kyle Shanahan seems to be moving toward. A player like Hurd at his full potential could be on the field for three consecutive downs and turn the 49ers personnel group from 21 personnel to 12 personnel to 11 personnel without anybody ever coming on or off the field. And that is a nightmare for a defense to try and game plan for because you don't know what personnel package you need to put out there uh, based on based on who the 49ers are sending on the field. So if if Hurd fully realizes his potential in year 1, which I'm 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 doubting happens because he still has a lot to learn about playing receiver in a complicated offense. I can't foresee him becoming an effective receiver, an effective tight end and an effective running back all in all in his first season that's unrealistic that's an extremely high expectation i don't think that's fair but if he can be as you said a slot receiver who plays like 30 percent of the snaps and can just be a piece that teams immediately when he comes on the field they have him circled it's like okay we need to make sure there's a body on him because he's so dangerous after the catch or he's he's so good in the red zone he's big body six five He's so good in the red zone. You have to make sure you have a body. One more player that the opposing team has to worry about is, is really going to play into Kyle Shanahan's hands. And I think that's probably the ceiling for her, a, a good realistic ceiling for her in year one. And if, if he can do that, if he can find his way consistently onto the field, I, I think that's a really successful year for him. Yeah. Yeah. I really like your point about the positional versatility in terms of personnel groupings. Um, I think I think that's really interesting in terms of the way they can use him in so many different ways and how defenses will have to adjust. Uh, next question. I'm going to I'm going to lay this out for you really simply because Debo Samuel has said it on social media that he really wants to win rookie of the year. Is Debo Samuel going to win rookie of the year? So I just wrote about this at NinersWire.com. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a, there is a realistic track for it. The the guys like uh, Darrell Henderson for the Rams is is a player I really like out of Memphis. He's a running back. If Todd Gurley's going to have issues, I could see Henderson getting a ton of burn and winning the award. Um, I, I there there's you look at all the players who could realistically win it, and Samuel is in a really good spot where if Dante Pettis you know, maybe doesn't produce like the Niners want him to in year two, or if he continues to deal with injury issues and teams are really keying on George Kittle and Samuel can get onto the field and play out of the slot and play outside and maybe get some return work in and just be a go-to receiver right away where he somehow pulls in 80, 85 catches. He's 
up around the 900 to 1,000 yard mark with six, seven touchdowns, I absolutely think he's in the con- he's in the conversation for rookie of the year. Now, that's an extremely high expectation. It's going to take a lot of things going his way, including Kyler Murray not being very good, Dwayne Haskins not being very good. Those those two things, I think, are really going to be outside factors that will play a significant role in what Debo Samuel is able to do in the award season. Because no matter what Debo Samuel does, if Kyler Murray comes out and leads the Cardinals to a 9-7 and seven record and throws for 4,000 yards and, and 30 touchdowns, he's going to win. It doesn't matter what Debo Samuel does. But if he's even in the conversation, that's, that's, that's the ultimate point here. If Debo is even in the conversation for San Francisco as a rookie of the year, I think that, I think that bodes very, very well for their offense. Because if, if he's able to come in in year one and make that kind of impact, where people around the league are going, wow, look at look at Samuel in San Francisco. That's going to be a big deal for this offense because they really haven't had that player in in several years, really since Anquan Bolden left. So can Debo Samuel do what Juju Smith-Schuster did with the Steelers uh, during his rookie season in 2017, right? Because I, I think that that's, that's sort of the question you have to ask because – Juju, his first year with the Steelers, who was drafted uh, much later in the second round than Samuel was. Samuel was 36 overall. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was 62nd overall. Juju's first year in the league, 58 catches, 917 yards, seven touchdowns. Is that possible for Debo? I mean, I think it's possible. You you just look at at draft positioning – you know, Debo is obviously a better prospect coming out, or at least NFL people think so. So I think my point is, I'm not saying that that Debo is going to do that. And obviously we saw Juju Smith-Schuster have a crazy second year last year with 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns. But I think it's going to take that kind of season from him. So do I think that he can be Juju Smith-Schuster his first year? Sure, because there's no Antonio Brown on this team. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo's ceiling could be similar statistically to what Ben Roethlisberger was in 2017, for sure. Uh, 58 catches, 917 yards. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. But like you said, Kyler Murray would have to really just not be good at all. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think it's possible. I think you could sort of see the path to it. But I'm, I'm with you in that. I think it's really hard to, to expect that. Uh, from from Debo Samuel, uh, do we want do we want to end it on that? I think we should end yeah. on that. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about the defense later this week. Training camp is going to start on Friday. Um, I'm excited, man! Like, there's going to be actual like football to write about instead of all this prognosticating and speculating and guessing and asking questions and admitting that we don't know the answers to them. We're finally going to get these answers because we're going to see stuff happening on the field. Well, and with the Niners this year, especially because this is like a, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but this is like a really turning point year in their franchise. Because if Jimmy Garoppolo comes out and is not very good, we could see the Niners move back to like square one of this rebuild. Or if Nick Bosa isn't very good, or if none of their receivers take a jump, or if they're, defensive experiment which we'll talk about next week with you know building in the front rather than in the secondary 
Wednesday. What did I say? Tomorrow? Next week. Next week. Wednesday. You know what? It, you know, it's 7% coffee over here. <laughs> but no, it, it, on, on Wednesday, next time we do this podcast, whatever, you know what I mean. There's a lot of things that could go wrong for the Niners that really force them into a tough spot going into next year. But like we said last last week, definitely last week, like we said, conversely, they could put themselves back in perennial playoff contention if everything goes right this year. So this is really a turning point year for San Francisco, and I, I'm super excited that it's finally getting going because ever since it feels like ever since Garoppolo got hurt last year, it was really looking forward to this year and going, okay, what can this Niners team really look like? I have another important question to ask you. Um, I'm making a major change this training camp for the first time. I uh, recently acquired a fanny pack because I'm done with the cargo shorts. And the reason why is because I'm tired of like when, so, okay, pull back the curtain. When you're out at practice, or at least when I'm out at practice, I have, I wear glasses and I have prescription sunglasses. So I have a glasses case. I have a notepad. I have multiple pens. Uh, I'll probably have sunscreen because I'm in my 30s now and sunscreen matters. Um, I might even have a snack or two. I'll have an audio recorder. So I got a fanny pack and I'm really, I'm really dying to hear what everyone thinks about the idea of a fanny pack because I'm not like the most fashion forward guy, but I got it and I kind of dig it. I think I'm going to do the over the shoulder, like hipster, like trendy guy type thing instead of just like the 50 year old dad at the theme park. But uh, I want to know your thoughts on the, on the fanny pack. Is, <laughs> is it a Supreme fanny pack? Uh, no, it's not that cool. Well, it is kind of cool. It's a Herschel supply company fanny pack. Shout out to Herschel. If you want to sponsor me, I have some Herschel luggage too. Okay. So you went peak hipster with it. I like that. Um, is it loud? I need, because if you're going to do that, you can't try and here's, here's the deal. You can't try and be discreet about the fanny. All right. You can't, you can't just roll in there. Like, yeah, this is normal. I'm wearing a fanny pack. It needs to be like, I'm wearing a fanny pack. That's how you need to do it. One more addition. I know you have all the things that you said you're going to, you said you're going to have in there. Let me see it. You got a picture for me right here. Oh, it's perfect. It's It's perfect. uh, That's wonderful. Wonderful. One more addition I I think you need to make to it is a small first aid kit. (laughs) Just just like a, just like, just like some, some bandages, maybe, maybe like a burn ointment. I was thinking, so let me describe this thing. Um, It's got like flower print on it. It's, it's black with like red and green, uh, like flower Hawaiian flower print. So it's like cool looking. It's, but it's not like super loud unless you're close like close up to it. Like I'm not the dude who's going to wear like a bright red or like bright yellow fanny pack. I'm the dude who'd be like, Oh, is that a fanny pack? Like, and then you'll get close to him. You're like, Oh, that's kind of cool. But I was thinking about like, because a lot of people are going to make fun of me. Like I know, I know exactly who is going to make fun of me when I get to practice and what I'm going to do. I've thought about this. I'm going to have like candy or like Starburst in the fanny pack. And I'm going to like, someone someone's gonna say something mean to me about the fanny pack and i'm be like oh, all right that's fine and then i'm gonna like pull out starburst and start eating the starburst and say oh i was gonna offer you starburst but you clearly don't want any and then everyone loves starburst so i think they'll be like a little bit hesitant to continue with the fanny back hate 
because they won't have any starburst. And I'm really going to handle this as maturely as possible. So I've, this is probably all going to get cut out, but that's fine. I'm sticking with this conversation. I've power ranked the writers who I think are going to make fun of you first. Well, it's members of the organization too, but talk, talk about, yeah, go. I, I like where you're going with this. Go with the right. I've got Branch at the top. Branch is for sure going to make fun of you immediately. And he's going to make some snide comment that you're going to walk away and go, was he making fun of me? I think he was making fun of me. That's accurate. That's accurate. Or he'll, or, you know what Branch will do? Branch will be extremely sarcastic and be like, oh, I, I love it. That that's great. You're gonna you have you have your snacks. You'll like he'll he'll explain what I just did, but he'll do it in a way that is completely demeaning and that is gonna make everyone laugh once I walk away. For sure. Uh, Barrows is number two. Barrows is gonna say something like, "Oh no, that's cute," right. or something like that. Mayoko three, and Mayoko is just gonna savagely roast you for it, <laughs> like unabashedly savagely roast you. I think Mayoko's partner Jennifer Lee Chan is also gonna roast you for it. Uh, uh, I think Tracy is going to say something really nice about it. I think Tracy's going to really like it. So actually, I, I've run this past Jennifer and Tracy already, and they're both on board. Oh, okay. So, so I feel good that the two the two women who cover the team are are on board with the fanny pack because I'm not going to say like women are the target demographic, but I I carry I I care more about what the women think in terms of men's fashion than old guys like Mayoko and Barrows. And they're not going to get any starters. So with that, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We're on we're Spotify, iTunes. Look for Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. And we'll talk to you guys next week talking 49ers defense at a training camp. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.